God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I pray you a blessed second week in Lent. Lent provides a chance to look in the mirror and hopefully not forget what we see. And thus, Romans chapter 4, verse 17, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. With these two phrases, Paul gives us hooks into two two fascinating figures in our reading. Nicodemus, who must be brought from death to life, and Abram, who must be brought from not existing into existence. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. First, Nicodemus. The passage doesn't call him just a teacher. The passage calls him the teacher of Israel. A Pharisee who's a minority in the the Sadducean-led Sanhedrin, but who has been overexposed, promoted beyond his competency, and desensitized to the surrounding, desensitized to the profundity, (laughs) it's easy for you to say, (laughs) and desensitized to the profundity of his surroundings. He's become aware that he's been missing something. He's heard about Jesus turning water into wine and saying, tear down this building and I will build it back up again in three days. And he realizes that he's not quite getting everything. He is one of the dead who have to be brought back to life. And that's what Jesus has to help him understand. Nicodemus has missed five things. John 3, 3. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. In other words, you're dead until you are brought back to life. You, you are the heart attack patient on the table. Without a jolt from the paddles, you're gone. Second, chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it will. Gaining new life will seem arbitrary to us. You know, the kids at Asbury College these last few weeks, experiencing revival, renewal, the wind of the Spirit, They've been very conscious that the spirit, that is not something that they incantate. They simply sit there and wait, and the Holy Spirit moves. Third, Jesus says in verse 13, no one has ascended who has not first descended, the Son of Man. Nicodemus, you've got to understand that the ladder between heaven and us You don't climb up it. No, what has to happen is someone has to climb down it to get you. 
that would be the Son of Man. That would be me. No, no amount of effort on our part gets us up that ladder. Only the one coming down for us. So you're dead till you're brought back to life. We got no control over when the spirit moves. There's no effort that we can make to get us fit for the kingdom. And then fourth, you only get into the kingdom because of the snake on the stick. Just as Moses, verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The story back when the children of Israel were in the, wandering in the wilderness, there was sin, and snakes started uh, attacking people, people were getting killed, and Moses put a snake up on his staff, and if you looked at the snake on the staff, you'd be okay. You only get into the God's kingdom because of the snake on the stick. Now, we've got, we have a, a stained glass of the snake on the stick back in our, in, in our ambulatory. But here, here, is, here is the story that that image is telling. And I borrow this from the great Scottish preacher, Alistair Begg. Begg says, you know, if I, if I ask you the Fort Lauderdale question, you know what the Fort Lauderdale question is? Fort Lauderdale question is, coming from a large Presbyterian church in my hometown of well, where I was raised, Fort Lauderdale. If you were to die tonight and to appear before God and he were to say, what, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? So Begg says, if I answer the Fort Lauderdale question in the first person, I'm immediately wrong. Because I, because I have faith because I believe, because I've worked real hard, because I'm not as bad as the next guy, every one of those answers is wrong. Begg says the answer to that question has to begin because he. Because he. Think, think of the thief on the cross on the right side of Jesus. Yeah, what's, what's it going to be like to get up there and track that guy down and say, what, what, what happened? How did that shake out for you to be here when one minute you're cussing the guy and the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're here. You, you, you've never been in a Bible study. You didn't get baptized. You don't know a thing about church membership and yet you made it. How did that happen? And so you can just imagine, Begg says, you can just imagine the, the first angel who has to interview the thief on the cross. Um, sir, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. Now, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. So the angel says, well, excuse me, I got to go get my angel supervisor. So the supervisor comes on, more senior angel, and says, okay, sir, let's get clear on this. Tell me what you understand about justification by faith. What's that? 
Well, oh, okay, how about this? How about the doctrine of Scripture and the sacraments? Huh? Well, tell me exactly on what basis you're here. Well, the, the man on the middle cross, he said, I can come. That is the only right answer. The alternatives, Begg says, are abject despair, because you know you'll never be good enough, or a horrible kind of arrogance because you trick yourself into thinking you are good enough. Because, as the contemporary hymn says, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Which takes us to the fifth thing that Nicodemus needed to learn so that he could be no longer dead but alive. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to be the snake on the stick, to be the man on the middle cross. If I have one prayer that I go back to all the time for you, for us, it's may you, each of you, may you know this for sure for yourself. And if you're just not that sure, let's talk. Because it's a difference between being dead now and forever or being alive now and forever. So that's one. Nicodemus has got to come from death to life. Then there's Abram. Abraham, Paul calls him, it's a very interesting term. Paul calls him in Romans 4 or 5, ungodly. God who justifies the ungodly. It's asebes, that is the non-religious. Later on he says that's the state of being part of the things that do not exist that have to be brought into existence from nothingness to somethingness. So you see, when God called Abraham, Abram at the time in Genesis 12, Abram was a pagan. He lived in Ur of the Chaldees, hundreds of miles away from the land of promise. In modern parlance, he would be a nun, N-O-N-E. Maybe spiritual, but definitely not religious. Had to be called from what Paul calls non-being into being. From what Isaiah and then Paul calls from being far to being near. From godlessness to godliness. From pagan to believer. And this was to be his gift to the world. Called from nothingness into something this was the way, according to Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, he was going to be a blessing to the world. Right now, I'm reading this fascinating book by a fellow named Ferdinand Mounts, M-O-U-N-T-S, Ferdinand Mounts. The book is entitled, Full Circle, How the Classical World Came Back to Us. Mounts argues that we live, you and I, in a re-paganized world where the Judeo-Christian faith does not shape people anymore, but where values reminiscent of the pre-Christian pagan world do. 
And what an amazing opportunity this is for us to minister in. Let me offer one example. In the classical world, the gymnasium, which means the naked room, the gymnasium is where you, well, if you're a male, you, it's where you build bodies beautiful, reflective of and reinforcing of an ideal of mental and moral beauty. The ultimate end? Well, nothing. The most popular tombstone inscription in Paul's day, for, including for all these people who are building their beautiful bodies to reflect moral and mental beauty, the most popular tombstone in, uh, in Paul's day said, I was not, I am not, I will not be, and it doesn't matter. The Christian world comes along with its claim that you can live forever with God. In the Christian world, physical exercise, says Paul, is of some, meaning limited, value, but godliness is of great value. And so in the early church, the Christian athletes are martyrs because what awaits us is resurrection glory, liberation from fallenness and sin. Fast forward to our world. In this post-Christian, re-paganized world, gymnasiums, thankfully now mixed-gender gymnasiums, proliferate where once again we're building bodies beautiful, but minus even the idea that we are reflecting and reinforcing mental and moral beauty. There's no ghost in the machine. There's just the machine, and we're here to keep the machine going. The ultimate end? That's a meaningless question. Don't worry. Be happy. As odd as this sounds, what an exciting time to be alive. We're back in the world that the gospel broke into and brought hope where there was no hope. To go to nuns and duns, people who are, I'm done with the church, to spiritual, whatever that means, but not religious people, and say somewhere deep inside, you know you were made for more. I found myself thinking recently about what an adventure, what an exciting adventure it was to go with Josh and Patricia and Gordon on Ash Wednesday morning after our early service to take Ashes to go to the city of Orlando and to offer to do Ashes on the forehead of people that we would just run, run into. Now, there, there was a learning curve we, we had to figure out where people actually were rather than where we thought they were. So they weren't down by, um, by the um, train station or the Corona cigar place, much to Josh's chagrin. <laughs> Turns out they were at Lake Eola. So we went to Lake Eola. Turns out it was probably pretty intimidating to have four people in black cassocks walking side by side, four abreast, coming down, coming at you. So we decided we'd need to split up and go two by two. And then people were more ready to talk with us. And we just, we just had to go and get acclimated to the Lord's serendipity. Some people wouldn't even make eye contact. 
some people we'd start talking with and they'd go off into crazy talk. And you know, religion does that to people. Some would stop their car on the other side of the street when they realized what we were about and come, up, come across and say, could I please get ashes to go? One lady said, this experience was the perfect closure for the cancer treatment she had just successfully completed. And I found myself adapting the words that we use in the service, from dust you came and to dust you shall go, and adding, but your story doesn't have to end there. That's what we have to offer to a world that is broken and repaganized. So during Lent, I have a couple of suggestions. During Lent, remember in the first place that there are a lot of Abrams out there still living in Ur of the Chaldees. A lot of Abrams the Lord would draw from non-being into being. Ask the Lord to put on your heart the name of someone you know who doesn't have a clue. Ask the Lord to pester you enough to persist in prayer for that person, that the Lord will prompt them and open the door, that they may ask, why the hope that's in you? Second, during Lent, don't let yourself, like Nicodemus, let yourself get so used to all this beauty of holiness that you miss holiness himself. Carve out some time to come to this place, if you can, of course. If you're online, well, then go to an art gallery. And go to a, do an online tour of a cathedral, whatever. Carve out some time to come to this place or another and spend time pondering the story that this place tells. Breathe in the scent of the prayers of the generations of worshipers. Take in your hand the prayer book, the hymnal, the Bible. Peruse them. Reflect on them. Let the Lord breathe life into you and reacquaint you with the man in the middle cross. Close today by adapting the collect of the day. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all of us who have gone astray from your ways and bring us again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen.